0: well it's good to be here this morning i'm glad uh you've gathered here you know this is really the official kickoff to christmas and you may have thought it started back in october when somebody in your family started playing christmas music at halloween i don't know if you had any of that going on in your house but we love christmas at our house we're in between homes we're building a home and so being between homes it's like do you get the christmas stuff out or not and uh, we've chosen pretty much not but It makes us very sad. So being here today, starting Advent, is just an incredible, incredible opportunity. Uh, There are these candles that you see here. Eventually, the Christ candle is lit, and all of this combines together to celebrate the first coming of Jesus, his advent. It means to appear or to arrive, and Jesus arrived in Bethlehem when he was born. Well, we've all heard the carol, O Holy Night, and there's a phrase in that carol that says this, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. When I think of the thrill of hope, I think of the hope that was in the hearts of the prophets. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ's coming. In fact, there are over 450 prophecies about the coming of Jesus to earth. Now, of the 450, 300 of them were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming, and 150 are yet to be fulfilled after and during his second coming. And so, when we think about prophecy, We think about, especially around Christmas, you know, we do think of Isaiah 714 that tells us that he is virgin born, that his name is Emmanuel. But the other one that we see on a lot of greeting cards at Christmas time, Christmas cards, is this passage that we're going to look at today. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. So if you'll open your copy of God's word, however you do that, we're going to look at this birth announcement of Jesus Christ, except this birth announcement wasn't made during the nine months. It was made 700 years before Jesus came. I'm going to ask you to do something. Maybe it's unusual for you. I don't know. Would you stand? We're going to read this scripture. Stand up if you can, and we're going to read this scripture together. So I want you to read with me. You're going to see it on the screen. And as we read this together, is it up there? There we go. As we read it together, what will happen is you just read with me and allow the words to come out of your mouth as we talk about Jesus and the prophecy of Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray together as we, as we open our hearts to the Word of God. Father, we thank you so much that we can gather here during this Christmas season. Thanksgiving just happened, but we anticipate over the next four weeks that Christ is coming, that he has come, and he's made a huge difference in our lives and in this world. And so in the name of Jesus, I ask us as we look at these titles of Jesus and understand that this is who you are, that you're not just a baby lying in a manger, that you're a, you're, you're a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father and a prince of peace, one whose government is on your shoulders and you are the king of kings and Lord of lords, that, Lord, you would give us a high view of understanding that our hope Our hope is rested in Christ alone, and Lord, that you would work in and through our lives. Use the word to transform our hearts and minds, and Lord, just do a mighty work in our lives today, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when you look at the prophecies of the Old Testament, you realize that some prophecies, again, point to his first coming. We call that the first advent, and some of the prophecies point to his second coming. That's the second advent. Now, from the perspective of a Jew reading the Bible in the first century, you were, you were to take all of that into consideration and seek to understand, is this Jesus the Messiah? And so passages like we find in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and we see in Isaiah seven fourteen, and other places in Scripture that talk about where Jesus is born, how Jesus would live, how Jesus would die. We know that all of these prophecies added up, and for us, we look back, we say, that's enough to convince anyone that Jesus Christ is who he really was, according to the, Old, the New Testament and Old Testament prophecy. But the problem was for some is they would see prophecy, and they would see it, it's like, well, this part got fulfilled, and this part didn't get fulfilled in other words there are prophecies and i believe isaiah 9 6 and 7 is one of them where there's two aspects of this prophecy that are going to be fulfilled one in his first coming one in his second coming and we call this the mountain peaks of prophecy now if you've ever been to colorado and you've driven toward the rocky mountains you know when you're far off from a distance it looks like those mountains are side by side But as you drive closer and closer, what you discover is there is a distance between those mountains. Now, as the prophets look forward, God did not always give them the wisdom to see when they made that prophecy, whether those prophecies were going to happen during Jesus's first coming or the prophecies were going to be divided between his first and second coming. We call these the mountain peaks of prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 7, what we see is that in verse 6, I believe it refers to the first advent of Jesus Christ. It talks about his titles, and these titles are true of him for all eternity, but it was manifested when it says that a son was born, that this, this gift from God, this child is born, the son is given. What happened at that time, we realize as we look at Jesus that these qualities are true about him. So verse 6 Is really about his first advent. I believe verse 7 really focuses on his second advent. The first time that he came, he rules on the hearts of believers as the gospel is preached. The Great Commission is fulfilled. Churches are planted. Disciples are made all across the world. The kingdom advances in and through the relationships that we make. As Pastor Matt talked about, building those relationships in our community, when we do that, we see people saved, people come in the church discipled. The kingdom comes today. But there is a kingdom yet to come, a thousand-year reign of Christ. And next time, he's not coming, Jesus, meek and mild. He's coming, Jesus, brave and bold because he's going to come and establish his government on this planet. Justice will spread across the globe. God will see his will done for those thousand years. In the end, yes, there's a rebellion, but then there's the new heaven and the new earth that will exist from eternity future. And so it's a twofold coming that Jesus came, and Jesus is yet to come. We see this in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And so today, what I want to talk to you about are four titles for Jesus, our King, that will thrill us with hope as we enter into the Advent season leading up to Christmas Day. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want to share with you. As our wonderful counselor, Jesus infuses us with wisdom. He infuses us with wisdom. Now, the the word wonderful here is the word that we get the word awe or astonishment from. That Jesus was unlike any other counselor, that we are in awe of him, we are astonished, we are filled with wonder about this counselor. Now, the word counselor has the idea of someone who comes alongside of a king and gives him trusted advice. Back then, it would be the cupbearer. It would be someone that would come alongside, he would get advice from his cupbearer, from those around him, and he would make wise decisions specifically for war. The thing about our savior is he doesn't need a trusted advisor because he is the wonderful counselor he gives counsel to himself and we can't give counsel to god in fact god is the only one that can give us perfect wisdom and perfect counsel romans 11 33 through 36 captures the depth of God's wisdom it says oh the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever have you ever tried to give God advice (laughs) Maybe you're going through something you don't understand. It's like, God, I would have done it differently. We don't always understand God's purposes in our life. He is a wonderful counselor. He takes counsel within himself, and he displays his wisdom to us. You say, how are we to respond to this wisdom? If it's unfathomable, if we can't understand it because we're human and he's God, then how do we get God's wisdom It says in Proverbs chapter nine and verse 10, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. He tells us, listen, if you really want to have wisdom, you need to fear God. Now, this is not an irrational fear. This is a fear where we reverence God above any other counsel we could receive. So oftentimes we're satisfied with what we read in a blog or what we see on television, or we find on the internet somewhere. We need to understand that perfect wisdom comes from His Word because it comes from God Himself. Notice that it also says it's of the knowledge of the Holy One. In other words, the more we know God, the more wisdom we will have. So we find that our, our Savior is a wonderful counselor who infuses us with wisdom. Secondly, as our mighty God, Jesus empowers us to conquer. When it says that he is a mighty God, it means that he is a conquering king who is victorious over all his enemies. Now, if you know anything, you know that first century Jews believed that the Messiah would come as a coming conqueror, to conquer over the Romans, and that the kingdom through the Messiah and the Jews would spread over the entire world. And That's kind of what's going to happen during the second coming through God's people. But at the same time, we understand that that's not what happened in Jesus' first coming. When Jesus came, when he preached the kingdom, he preached the kingdom in such a way that the many of the Jews rejected that because they saw him not as a military conqueror, but they saw him as Jesus meek and mild. They saw him as someone who is loving and someone who, yeah, did miracles and, yeah, cared about people, but he also allowed prostitutes and homeless people to be in his presence, and, and they rejected that, that he would seek justice in situations, and, and they didn't want justice, they wanted to be righteous, and they ended up being hypocritical. And so they see Jesus, and eventually Jesus is crucified on the cross, which satisfies the desire of the mob. And so they say, certainly he wasn't the Messiah, he wasn't the king. We talk about Jesus being a mighty God. It does not mean that Jesus was defeated or his kingdom was postponed because somehow the wheel of history rolled on top of him. When you look at prophecy in the Old Testament, you've got to look at all the prophecy. If you were to read Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 is really an Easter passage, but we read it and what we see is a vivid description. Of what Jesus would suffer when he died on the cross, that our sins would be placed upon him, that he would be beaten and rejected, that he would be crucified on that cross. When we read Isaiah 53 in context of the kingdom coming, this is what it means it means that God had to secure redemption so that he might reign on our hearts. In fact, we we could put it this way redemption through the cross and resurrection establish the right now kingdom where Jesus reigns on the hearts of his followers as they obey the great commission to preach the gospel, make disciples, and establish churches. This tells me that his kingdom is now and yet to come. It's now in the hearts of believers. It's yet to come for that thousand-year reign where Christ is going to come and establish his government upon this world. So we see that Jesus is the wonderful counselor who infuses us with wisdom. We see that Jesus is the mighty God who empowers us to conquer. But third, as our everlasting father, Jesus envelops us with love. Of all the descriptions, this is the most surprising to me and many others. Jesus is the everlasting father, when I was in seminary I worked on a dock and uh, all the seminary guys they knew who we were and we were only going to be there temporary there's some career guys there and as we worked there what would happen is we would get into these witnessing situations and there was this one guy who believed that Jesus Christ God the Father the Holy Spirit are all the same person within the Godhead In other words, God came in the Old Testament as God the Father. Jesus came during his ministry as Jesus the Son. And then the Holy Spirit is in the church as the Holy Spirit. That is called modalism, that he comes in different modes over history. And he would come to me and say, he'd use this verse. He'd say, you see right there, Jesus is the Father. He's the everlasting Father. Well, when you read the Bible, you read the New Testament, There are many places where Jesus says, listen, I I submit to my Father's will, and when he would do the will of the Father, then he acted on behalf of the Father. And when he refers to the everlasting Father, he's saying that Jesus is infinitely in a position where he is a father to those who are born again into his family, that he is a godly king who will protect his people as a godly father protects his children. The fact is that outside of Christ, we are alienated from Christ. We're orphans outside of Christ spiritually, and that Jesus Christ desires for us to come and have a relationship with him, that he would lead us as our spiritual father. Listen to John 14, verses 18 through 20. It says, I will not leave, this is Jesus speaking, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a, a little while and the world will see me no more, because you see, but you will see me because I live. In other words, because I live, I've been resurrected, then you know what? You're going to receive a spiritual resurrection. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. In other words, we will have a communion together. Just as God the Father and and God the Son have a communion together, so we will commune with God. Not that we become gods, but that we commune with the Trinity. We commune through the Holy Spirit with God the Father and God the Son. And so we we read that he's our everlasting father. We We read the fact that he loves us like a protective father that will walk us through the different difficulties in life. You know, I don't know what your dad was like, Mine was a strong, silent type. My biggest struggle was trying to figure out, am I a man in my dad's eyes? Some of you had abusive fathers or neglectful fathers. Some of you had great dads. But when we look at Jesus, when we look at God the Father, we see perfect fathers, fathers who love us, compassionately want to walk alongside of us, who will rebuke us so that we might repent and come back to him and restore that fellowship with him. We have a father that's committed to us, that wants to talk to us, that will never neglect us or abuse us. We have a father who is perfect. There are some people that give up on God because the name father is included, but I want to tell you, take what you think of a father. If it's negative, look to Jesus, look to God the father and see a true father who loves you more than any human father could. I love what it says in 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we might be called the children of God. And so we see this ruling and reigning king as our wonderful counselor, Jesus, infuses us with wisdom. As our mighty God, Jesus, empowers us to conquer. As our everlasting Father, Jesus, envelops us with his love. But last, as the Prince of Peace, He offers us forgiveness. I was reading an article about war, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but like 3,400 years of recorded human history, only 8% of that time was there really peace on earth. In other words, there was no battles, there was no wars. That war is normal for this world. And the reason it's normal, because this, this world is fallen and sinful, And people fight about a lot of different things. Many times it's righteous. And there's other people that will start a battle unrighteously. There's all that. But understand, this is a world at war. Not just a military war. And thank God for our military. But also, there's spiritual warfare. And that God wants us to have peace. And he has become a prince of peace. So that we might understand what it is to be reconciled to God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's going to be a time after the second coming when he does come as a military ruler, when he does establish justice and righteousness in this world where it will progressively increase to the ends of the earth. We read that in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7 where it says of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it. With justice and righteousness from this time forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And yes, he wants justice. Yes, he wants righteousness. Yes, he wants to display his mercy. And we do that as a church, as we engage in our culture, as we engage in our relationships, as we engage in our families and among our neighbors. We do these things. We represent Christ in that way. But the true need for peace comes in the form of forgiveness. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, there's a distinction about the world's peace. A lot of people find peace through a pipe, or it may be through a bottle. It may be that they find peace in pursuing pleasures outside of what God's designed. There are a lot of ways that people try to find peace. It may be by buying up different things and trying to satisfy your desire through covetous pursuits, but none of those things bring peace. All those things have a horrible aftertaste. Once we feel satisfied and and everything works out afterwards, you know, that new stuff's not as new looking. That high is not as high. And God wants us to find true peace and we can find it only through Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus returns again, he is going to reign with complete authority. He's gonna bring peace at every level. And all who reject him will come into condemnation. And today, we need to understand outside of Christ, the Bible says in John 3, we are condemned already. Listen to what it says in Acts 17, 30 through 31. It says, the time of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, that's Jesus, whom he has appointed And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 100 years from now, every single person in this room, unless there's a lady with a baby that they're expecting, 100 years from now, every single person in this room will have died and stood before God. And he will either say, He will either let you into heaven based solely upon whether you receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or he will say, depart from me for I never knew you, and then you'll be cast into hell. Without Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're condemned already, but John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, when we talk about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, the real peace that we need is peace with God that he established when he died on the cross for our sin. That he stood between heaven and earth, bore our sins upon his body, died in our place so that when we repent and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we receive his forgiveness. He takes our sin off of us, that condemnation, and he gives us his justification. He makes us right in his eyes. And then we become a child of God, fully forgiven, and we can experience him as our prince of peace, ruling on our hearts. Here's my question, where do you put your hope? Do you put your hope in political leaders? I hope not. Do you put your hope in the economy, your job, your portfolio? your health. Man, if the last two years haven't taught us anything, it's taught us not to put our trust in those things. There's a greater king coming, but friend, I want to tell you, he already has come. And when Jesus Christ comes to reign on your heart, he will change you, and if he can change you, he can change your relationships. If he can change your relationships, he can change his community. If he can change his community, he can change his nation. He can change his nation, he can change his world. And so God has called us to represent the great king of glory, anticipating his fuller kingdom in the future because he is our wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, Jay or- uh, Ray Ortland stated this. He said, "As our wonderful Counselor, Jesus is the best ideas has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow Him. As the Mighty God, He defeats His enemies easily. Let's hide behind Him. As the Everlasting Father, He loves endlessly. Let's enjoy Him. And as the Prince of Peace, He reconciles us while we're still." his enemies, let's welcome his dominion, his reign into our lives. So I want to pray. And as I pray, I'm asking the band to come up, and they're going to lead us at the end after I pray. But during this prayer, if you're here today and you've not yet received Christ, maybe take these moments to cry out to him, to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. If you're here today and maybe you feel far from God, A lot of times you feel far from God because there's something in your life, a pocket of rebellion, where he's not king there. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to pinpoint that area. Why? To make you feel bad? No. The conviction of God is to bring release from bondage so that you can truly experience the abundant life through Christ. If you've got a pocket of rebellion, it's holding you back from everything God has in store for you. So would you bow your head and pray with me?